We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Coming up next on Inside Golf Podcast, Jeff Willett, professional caddy on the PGA Tour for Luke Lest, also formerly Nick Taylor, amongst others. Jeff has been around for a while, and we touch on everything from the Masters to Luke winning at Torrey Pines to Luke's infamous putting at times and a caddy's perspective on Liv, Luke getting an offer from Liv, and much more. Jeff is an awesome guy, a really thoughtful dude, and it was fun to sit down with him and dive into all sorts of stuff. Before we get to Jeff, this podcast is presented, as always, by RickRunGoods.com. RickRunGoods.com is a fantasy golf and golf betting database with a ton of different tools, including a model and lineup generator, DraftKings ownership projections. It pretty much has every stat you could possibly want, including Corn Ferry Tour data, Live data, PGA Tour data, Strokes Gain data from Euro Tour events, um, not to mention premium long-form written articles from myself. I do a full course breakdown on Mondays, uh, an in-depth DraftKings preview where I break down the weather and ownership before every DraftKings slate on Wednesdays, uh, premium Slack channel where you can hit me up for any questions, uh, and much more. So head on over to rickrungoods.com. Promo code Andy, so they know I sent you, and we'd love to have you as part of the community. All right. Without further ado, let's bring on Jeff. All right. Jeff Willett is here, caddy for Luke Less on the PGA Tour. You're in Napa right now. Is this, I got to ask, how's how's Napa been? I'm I'm down in LA, and it's it's been pretty hot, but I assume, I, I caught a little bit of coverage today, and it looks beautiful out there. Yeah, it was nice. We we all started warming up this morning. Everything was great. And all of a sudden, a huge fog bank came in. <laughs> right. And it caused an hour and 30 minute delay. But that's normal here. It, it seems to, the fog just seems to roll in out of nowhere in Napa. And I, I know we missed the heat wave last week. I guess it was 100 plus. It was um, bad. But I was, <laughs> I was freezing this morning. I'm not going to lie to you. I was out there in the dark this morning on the putting green, setting up his putting drills, and I was freezing at six fifteen. And we we hung around in the fog for three hours. So, uh, you know, once it lifted, everything was great. But 
I was freezing. Everybody calls me soft and I'm from Maine. I mean, I am soft. (laughs) (laughs) Would you call this one of like the more widely uh, favorited between player and caddy stops on the PGA tour? I think a lot of the tour wives love to come here. <laughs> yeah. I I think, you know, I know Luke and his wife came out without their kids on Sunday and they did the uh, three or four place wine, wine tasting deal on Monday, had a really good time, said he needed it. But I, I know a lot of the tour wives love to come here and order a bunch of wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. Well, I want to, I want to backtrack before we talk more about, you know, napping and what's going on with Luke this upcoming year. How'd you get into this, man? Take us back. How long have you been doing this for Luke and kind of give us the rundown on a little bit of your background? Sure. Uh, this is my the start of my 22nd year on tour. We were all, well, I was playing the mini tours down in South Florida back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And a friend of mine made it on well, he actually went to qualifying school and made it through all three stages of Q school, which was unbelievable. You know, he went from the mini tours to the PGA tour in a manner of three months. Um, he went out to the West Coast, didn't make a dime, didn't make a cut. And he came back for the Honda Classic. And I got a phone call on Monday morning and asked me if I wanted to work the Honda. And I said, well, sure, absolutely. So. I went down to work the Honda and, you know, the weather was incredibly bad. And we were honestly, we didn't know what round we were in. We were just delayed all over the place. And he shoot 64, 65, 66. And I ended up in the last in the uh, last group with Kucher and Mike Weir. It's my first ever event. We're in the last group. <laughs> he shot a couple over, finished 19th. But it was an incredible experience, and, and I knew right then that I liked it on this side of the bag a lot more than <laughs> playing-wise. So <laughs> we continued, and, and we played the rest of the year, and he just barely missed his card. Really a, a tragic story at at, uh, at qualifying school. He double-bogeyed his 105th hole. Um, you know, it's a six, it was a six-round oh, deal back then uh, to miss his card by a shot. And he ended up, you know, down to the, I think it was the web.com at that time, but I decided I was going to stay out on the PGA tour and I made my own way. And, you know, 22 years later, here I am still. How'd you meet Luke? Did, did, does it kind of work in a sense where once you are a caddy on the PGA tour and you're kind of in between jobs and and players obviously switch caddies a bunch and you guys kind of just find each other? Yeah, it, it's a pretty small world out here. I mean, it's a traveling circus with the media and the caddies and the players and the officials. Uh, but realistically, there's there's 156 players and 156 caddies. There's really not much. So news travels fast. When, uh, Nick Taylor, I was working for Nick Taylor for almost six years. And yeah, great he had player. His, yeah, he had his, his best year ever. We'd won Pebble uh, wire to wire. And I, I don't know, it, it just, it went south. Um, I don't know really how it happened. And we parted ways. And I had noticed, I've always noticed Luke was an incredible player. Um, and I noticed he was kind of bouncing around. So I, I called his coach. And literally within three hours of getting let go by Nick Taylor, 
I, I had had Luke List. So I'm, it's it's really strange how it works out here. News travels incredibly fast. So it's just a really kind of a networking deal. So when Luke won Tory, that was not your first win on the PGA Tour. You had won Pebble, which was quite another great place to win. I think you were, was Phil in the final group that year? Or? Yes, we, uh, we, we had like a three-shot lead, lead uh, going on to uh, the final round, and Phil was the closest. And, and Nick played incredible. He won wire to wire. It was, it was great. Um, I remember telling him coming off the range, I was like, listen, I know that the crowd is going to be all for Phil. Uh, so it's just me and you out here. And, and Nick went out there and played incredible. I mean, really dominated. We had a six shot lead making the turn and uh, it was great. Took down Phil <laughs> and I, I like Phil, but yeah. So uh, with Luke, Luke winning tour, that was my third win with three different players. Which who's, is which who's is really the other cool. One? Uh, one with Brian Bateman. We won the uh, Buick Open and Warwick Hills in in okay. Michigan. Okay, back in two thousand and seven. Yeah, I assume uh, Tory was the only one where you guys were worried about darkness, and you had this. I think he shot he shot something like a sixty six right in the final round and finished early, and then you guys are waiting for two hours. What was that like? Well, when he made that, I, I wish there was a camera on because I had the flag and I was kind of standing beside him and I knew it was a big putt on 18 and he drained it and I knew it. I gave it just a tiny little fist pump and because <laughs> I knew that was big because it was the weather was getting cooler. Mm-hmm. It wasn't blowing. It wasn't blowing really hard, but at, at, at Tory, it was blowing six, eight miles an hour. But when it's cold, it feels like 20. 20 miles an hour in other places. So I knew it was going to be tough for the guys coming in to make any birdies at all. Luke didn't have, he didn't have any confidence that it was going to hold up at all. Really? I thought for sure he didn't at all. He thought he, he went in, had a, had a meal or whatever. And he came out 30 minutes later. He's like, well, you know, I don't know if this is going to hold up. I said, I really think this is going to hold up. I, I really do. I, and obviously it was, it was tight coming down the stretch with Rom and um, Zalatoris. We had to avoid those two guys basically, but nobody did, really did anything. Zalatoris missed that pot and Rom missed his pot. And after two hours of hitting balls, um, we were in the playoff. And when we went out to that playoff, it was dark. It was, it was dark. It was, I was standing there by the 18th green. It was dark. We, I, I, you had 10 minutes, maybe. We did. We did. And it was cold. I could not believe how cold that cart ride was, was to AT&T. It was, I was freezing. And obviously, we both hit it in that bunker, both buried. It, it was, you know, we tried to decide who was playing first. And Luke hit an incredible shot, an incredible shot out of a buried lie. And then I don't know if you saw it, but the, my rake job went viral. Um, <laughs> the, the tour official was going to make me rake this ball uh, or rake the uh, rake the bunker, and I, I kept telling him, I said, "Listen, you rake this. I I don't want to hit his <laughs> ball." So every every rake stroke I made, the crowd was ooing and aahing, and it, it was unbelievable. But you know, to go back to regulation, um, Luke drove it. 
Luke drove it in the rough and then he laid up in the rough and we had 120 yards or so. I've seen more bogeys and double bogeys made from that layup in the rough to the 18th, you know, to 18th pin that I've seen birdies ever. And for somehow, some way he muscled this, this ball onto the green past the hole and can that putt, which was amazing. I mean, I mean, obviously his shot in the playoff was amazing to, you know, six inches, but the regulation that never, nothing would have ever happened if he wouldn't have hit that shot out of the rough. I mean, I was nervous. I was like, this could go anywhere. This could go long, this could go in the water, but I somehow got it on the green and made the putt. I mean, it was a really great thing and I'm really happy for him, you know, for his first win. It was, it was really special. Is, uh, is Tory one of the places every year where it feels like that's such a course I remember just from us, you know, I spend all my time looking at the numbers and the statistics of it all and heading into that week, cause he had a really good fall swing. I mean, he, he was, did. he was scratching the surface on, I think he, he was, he was in the mix. I think he went seventh Zozo, 10th RSM, 11th us open 17 Sanderson farms. And that's a good golf course for him. I think you want, I think you want Luke list on golf courses where you're going to have driver in your hands a lot. It's a little bit longer. You're going to have a long iron in your hands a lot. Did you guys feel like you were kind of on the precipice of something? I did. Um, I, I did for sure. I mean, honestly, we should have won three times in the fall and, and that's no lie. Um, putting, he, he should have, he really had a good chance at Zozo. Houston was, was really, really close. And, you know, we finished 10th at, at Sea Island where 10th was like the highest he could have, pl- he could have finished. So, you know, barring the putting issues aside, uh, he was playing incredibly well. And he's always thought that he, he could win at Torrey. He really has always wanted to win at Torrey. It's a, it's a great golf course for him. It's long. It, it really eliminates three quarters of the field, honestly. And, you know, the way he hits it and, and as long as he is, he's always wanted to win there. And, and yeah, it, it built, it built through the fall and, and through the West coast swing right up to there. And, and he came through and he came through. You alluded to the putting a little bit and I, I emailed you about this a little bit on the outline, but you know, if you look at the numbers he hits the ball well enough to be a top 20 player in the world. I mean, it's really that good. I mean, the, the consistent level of ball striking that he has put together over the last two, three years, I mean, it's up there. And obviously the putter has been the one thing that's held him back. Does, does he feel that way? Like, is there, is there a sense, does he realize how good he is with the ball striking and, and kind of, does he have that frustration too? Or sometimes I look at the stats and some of the players will say, ah, these, I mean, you guys are overrating the stats. I'm really confident in this part of my game. He's, I've worked for a lot of ball. Unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, I've worked for some incredible ball strikers in my career and, and not incredible putters. Um, Luke ranks, I would put him into the top 10 or maybe even top five in the world of ball striking. It's, it's a sight to see. 
his ball striking is incredible. When it comes to putting, I think we might have turned the corner here in the last month or so to where he doesn't – he used to worry about the stroke and where um, the mechanics of the stroke instead of worrying about, you know, knocking in a three-footer. And I think we're kind of turning the corner to where he's not quite as worried about the stroke anymore. So I'm, I'm hoping to see improvements. And, and listen, I'm not going to say that Luke's ever going to be a top 10 putter on tour. I, I think if we could get to, say, 75th on tour, he would make $10 million a year. Oh, and, yeah. and that's no joke. That's no joke, um, the way he hits it. He doesn't have to be the best putter on tour. He just has to be a little better than average. And it, it has it, it's held him back. It has over his career. There's no doubt about it. But um, I've seen him have some really good putting weeks. And I've seen some, you know, some, some bad putting weeks. But, for example, last fall, his, his bad putting weeks, we finished 10th and 7th. And he, he, uh, he lost six strokes putting at the Houston open and finished 11. I mean, if he's a neutral putter, he wins that tournament. That's exactly right. Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, obviously everybody knows about his, um, his minus eight, whatever it was at (laughs) At the BMW, uh, at the BMW this year. Does he Um, find out about that? Like, does, cause I know it, it reverberates through our world, but it just, do you guys catch wind of that stuff? Yeah, unfortunately, there was there was an article written. Um, I don't know if it was golf.com. I, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but I was really upset, you know, at him calling out Luke and, and having a putting day like he did. But um, another reporter came up to him after the second round because he had a much better um, oh, yeah, putting he gained, day. Yeah, he bounced back. He gained like three and a half the next day, which is the funny he part did. of it. He did. And... He yes. So to answer your question, he they we know and they know and he knows. Um, and, and it's unfortunate that it has to be that way sometimes out here because you know media, social media, and it gets around quick. But you know, like I said, I, I think we might be turning a corner when it comes to putting. Now he's got a new putting coach, and we're working not mechanically wise, but. His stroke is really, really good. And I think once he gets to the point to where he doesn't think about if he's doing it right or wrong, you know, he's always wondering if the stroke is right, there's got to be something right or wrong. And we're trying to convince him now that it's right. And, you know, if we can get him, that's half the battle, you know, you know, putting, I mean, it's, it's tough and it's, it's big out here some weeks, some weeks it's, it's a putting contest and, you know, some weeks it's ball striking contest. So, but yeah, you know, it it was tough. Last fall could have been magical, really, honestly. You know, I think he three-putted seven times at Sea Island. We finished 10th. <laughs> we were in fifth coming into Houston, double bogey the last hole. Missed a short one, missed a one-footer to finish ninth. So, yeah, it, it all comes down to putting, whether it's Luke List or anybody else out there. I mean, you've got to make pots. Uh, are you familiar with the with Rotella at all? Because that sound he see yeah he seems very. I, my biggest problem with putting too is I I'm so so focused on the technicalities of it, and Rotella is really good at preaching like he's like all feel throwing a baseball. You're not thinking about 
anything. And it's, it's really helped me actually. As a, yeah, I, I believe it. Yeah. And that's where we're trying to get now. I mean, that's, that's where we're trying to, you know, we know what happened last year. We do. Um, it could have been a really special year. Uh, but I think we're trying to, trying to turn that corner to get to where he doesn't think about anything mechanical and it's all that he knows the stroke is good. He knows the stroke is there and he's able to just pour in the three footers and the four footers and the five footers to where that's where everything is made on this tour is everybody is just so good. So uh, hopefully, hopefully we've turned that corner, but yes, I agree with Rotella. I, I do like a lot of his theories and it's just um, we're hoping that we can get to where we need to be when the potting like i said just be average yeah just be average yeah is he very technical in general um does is he very you know looking at his stats a lot of work with the track man a lot of work with the swing coaches or is he a little bit more kind of feel-based I'd like to see him be more feel-based with his swing because the swing is so simple and it's so beautiful smooth. <laughs> Yeah. And, and just so powerful. Don't change a thing there. <laughs> That's exactly right. So I think he he looks a little bit too technical sometimes, but when it's really good and he feels that it's good, then it, it's all natural. So we try to get a, with the track man. It's mostly about um, numbers and not technical stuff. It's not about smash factor and all that kind of stuff yeah. that guys look for it's mostly about numbers and what it's flying a particular place in the country that we're at it, it's not more it, it's not uh like over technical i don't think he plays golf swing out there most yeah. of the time i i think for the most part it, it's really an awesome sight to see to see luke Liss at a golf ball Fifth on tour in club head speed, sixth in driving distance, seventh and off the tee, second in approaches from 250 yards plus, 11th in greens and regulation. Yeah. It, it's impressive. It really is impressive. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? Just looking over at his stats page too, he's actually top 50 in putting longer than 20 feet. So it, he's he's not a bad lag putter. And I have a stat that I look at called approach putting, which kind of measures the distance that you leave yourself on putts greater than 25 feet. It's pretty high in that. It's just the 189th and putting four to eight feet. That's what kills us. That's exactly right. His touch from 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet is incredible. He has incredible touch and feel. Yeah. So he's always, always going to put himself into place where it's tap in. Well, tap in out here, you know, three feet. Right. Um, somewhere around that area. His his touch is incredible. Obviously, the stats don't lie. You know, where he struggled was, you know, from three to five feet and maybe two to five feet. He, he really is a great putter when it comes to 25 feet for birdie. I mean, he's made a lot of putts and he a lot of tap-ins. So, yeah, he obviously knows where he has to improve, you know, to be – he wants to be an elite player and he is an elite player. It's just, he's so close to going to the top level, like the elite level is, you know, hopefully, like I said, I, I hope that, you know, it's, it's coming around. I, I really do. 
What's the on-course relationship like with you guys? I When you were talking about that, it made me think, like, are you out there reading greens for him a lot? Are you super hands-on or kind of more you guys have this built-in trust? I'm more of a Luke manager, you yeah. know, so I don't read many putts. I read maybe one or two a week. He's He's a really good green reader, reads them very well. Um, I'm more out there trying to keep him on the rails. He's an emotional player. He's a perfectionist. Um, when things, just the smallest things could set him off and get him off, you know, off the rails. So I'm more of a loop manager. You know, obviously I do the numbers and the clubs and all the stuff that a caddy does, but I'm, more sports psychologist out there and trying to keep him focused on, you know, if he three putts or missed a, sh- a short putt or hits a bad shot, I'm just trying to get him refocused on to the next shot to where it doesn't carry on a hole or two holes or three, you know what I mean? Before we get, yeah. you know, three or four holes in a row to where, and then all of a sudden he snaps back into it and he's back into his round. So that's more my important job, I would think, is is to be a Luke manager. Um, what's the week look like for you? Like uh, in terms of getting there, are you getting there early? Are you walking the course beforehand? What is it? What is a typical, you know, Monday through Wednesday before the tournament starts actually look like for you? Yeah, we Monday's a travel day. We get there on Monday. He doesn't do much on Mondays. So if it's a course that I've been to 20 times, I may go out and just see if the rough's thick, if it's firm. I'm not going to go out and do a lot of of scouting unless it's a brand new golf course that we haven't seen. Then I'll go out there and do all the work that I need to be done. But I'll just go familiarize myself with the golf course that I've seen a lot you know, because he's going to come out and he's like, you know, how's the rough? You know, the rough's thick. How are the greens? The greens are firm. Well, the greens are soft. So I need to know those answers when he comes out on Monday afternoon to putt or on Tuesday morning. But mostly Monday's a travel day and do a little bit of work on Monday. And then on Tuesdays, it's now with these pro-ams are mostly nine holes. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll do a little bit of practicing, whether it's in the morning or afternoon, whatever. And we'll play nine holes, the whole the the nine that we're not playing the next day on Wednesday in the pro am. And and then on Wednesdays we'll play the pro am and and pretty much get ready for Thursday. So I mean it is it I mean it sounds a little simple. It is a lot. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's long days on Tuesdays, you know, pretty long days on Wednesdays. So it's a pretty full week. Did you uh was this your first masters? Going out to Augusta for the first time? No, that was my third. That okay, because Nick, because you probably went with Nick after he won Pebble. We played the Fall Masters that um, that uh, COVID year. COVID year that DJ won. Which, yeah, that was... which was a much that course played as you know, I'm sure played a lot differently that year than it did the past year too. I really felt bad for Nick. Um, it was his first Masters with no crowd. It was soft and it was incredibly hot. It, it was nothing like you're you going know, up against example, football. Yeah, it's in a weird time exactly. slot. 
on number six on the par three, he the pin was right on that back right shelf, and he hit a shot just left of the hole where normally that would come down all the way to the front left when it actually it stuck up there, and he made two, which it would have been a four or a three or four, you know, on a normal Masters. I, I really felt bad for for the guys that were, especially Nick, you know, his first Masters. It was nothing like a real Masters. Like for example, Luke and I this April it was a real Masters. They got to skip the ball across on sixteen. <laughs> You know, the crowd, because we were on 15 on in the fall masters and Rom was ahead of us. We were hitting our second shot into 15 and, and Rom had skipped it, the back left pin. He skipped it across the pond and, and it went in and we heard, you know, it was, it was a pretty loud roar for about 30 people out there, but normally that would have been, you know, 5,000 people around that green. It would have been a roar. Everybody would have heard an amazing shot an incredible moment. But they kind of got stolen from them. I'm not saying it shouldn't have happened, the Masters that that, that time, but it was tough for the for the first timers. I, I really, honestly, I felt bad for them. What was that like with Luke going back this year? Because he hadn't, I, I think he came as an amateur in like 2005 and actually made the cut and finished T33. And then he hasn't been back since this year. Yeah, it was, I think it was the longest stretch between Masters 17 years <laughs> ever. Um, you know, he lives in Augusta now. And, with, you know, his wife's from Augusta. I think there was a lot of pressure on him to perform in front of, you know, his friends and family. And it just, he just didn't play. And the weather was, we got... The, the afternoon wave on on Thursday was incredibly hard. It was blowing thirty miles an hour. Yep. And and then the front went through, and then the next day it was freezing cold and blowing. Uh, it's not an excuse. It's it, but it is a factor. It was incredibly hard, you know, to factor in home course or, or hometown, and and the bad draw. It, it was a tough week. I really hope you guys make it back this year because. On paper, and I had this thought about Oak Hill too when I played it with our mutual friend Don, which we could talk about too. But on paper, that should be a really good course for him, right? I, I mean, I think that it should because, you know, obviously there's a lot of undulation to the greens, and it's a course where, you know, you're going to need to be able to putt and you're going to need to have a lot of experience on those greens. But from tee to green, like that is a course where, again, somewhat similar to Tory, He's going to have a lot of long irons. He's going to have a lot of drivers, honestly, major championships in general, I would think would be a really good spot for him because those are the types of courses that tend to devalue. You know, you hear about these putting contests at the Amex and stuff like that. Like the majors are kind of the inverse of that, where there's so much more of an emphasis on ball striking. I thought for sure. And, you know, I didn't say this to many people, but I thought Luke was going to be a favorite or was a favorite at Augusta. Yeah. Um, I, I really did the way he drives it. I thought we could get to every par five, no problem. Um, it, it just didn't work out that way. It, it was incredibly difficult. The PGA at Southern Hills this year, he, he played, he played pretty well on another golf course. That's extremely demanding from T to green. 
he played decent. He he did. Um, but yeah, I, I think the majors is a big focus for him now. Now that he played in all four of them last year, I think that's a big big goal of of his and ours to get back to the majors and having that experience. I know he's played in majors before and stuff, but I I think now that he's a more established player and I think the majors is is a big key for him and I know he's keying on on the invitationals and the majors to you know to make his his career really uh were you with him for Beth Page in 2019 no yeah that's another it's just another one of those golf like if you, it's interesting with him if you look at the courses where he's had the most success Corrales, 1.57 per round. That's a long golf course where you hit driver a lot. Torrey, Country Club of Jackson, which you guys have gotten a couple weeks. Another longer golf course where you hit driver a lot. Bay Hill, he's been really good at. Gains over a stroke at Bay Hill. And Memorial Park, which you guys had a legitimate chance to win this past year. All those golf courses are over 7,400 yards, right? And that that's kind of what you're seeing with a lot of these major championships too. I mean, what's his, um, what's his carry distance? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. If I don't exact, I mean, I don't, I should know it exactly, but I, he's carrying it 320. Yeah. So I played when me and Don played Oak Hill uh, a couple weeks ago, 
I want it because I was going to talk. I knew I was going to talk about it a bunch on the podcast. I wanted to play from the taps from the PGA tees, which they had set up. So it's going to be, I think, 74, 76. Uh, yeah. And there, the we got to play the course in pretty close to the conditions that it would be for the PGA. It's it, They are shutting it down, I think, this month. So it was one of the final rounds before they shut it down for the PGA. Right. I drive the ball like, 280 ish 285 to 300 all of the bunkers there are from like 275 to 305 so if he i i can't walked away walked away from that course thinking man the guys that can carry the ball like 310 315 in the air are gonna have a huge leg up because they have all these bunkers from like 275 to 305 i was in bunkers all day every single hole right that (laughs) That's incredible that they that it's like that because normally now nowadays I know. The modern golf they're they're you know right at three ten to where these big guys three thirty sometimes too right, yeah right right in their landing area I love Oak Hills by the way I I I haven't been there since O two the last the second to last I, I didn't miss the last PGA there but I worked for. Uh, Rob Labritz, who's on the senior tour right now, the champions tour. Yeah, Glenn okay. Arbor. He's a pro at yes. yeah. I grew up in Westchester. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. There's another golf course I really love. We don't go to anymore in Westchester, but I played that earlier this summer. It's phenomenal. I don't know why it's you guys inc- don't go back there. It's so good. Yeah. We've lost some of the greatest golf courses we played in the in the early and mid two thousands. I mean, Westchester was incredible. If you could go around there at two under a day, you win, you know, so eight good. under. It's so, so good. I don't know if I know the members probably didn't want it there anymore. It's probably the deal. And they kept charging the PGA tour more and more to go there. And I think it just got to the point where TPCs were just easier for the PGA tour to go to because they're free. Yeah. You know, all these country clubs that the members just don't want to give up their golf course. But yeah, uh, as far as Oak Hills goes, uh, that place is just a gem. It is immense. I love that place. And and again, I, it's a perfect place for Luke List. It is so perfect for him. It, it really is. <laughs> it is. It is. And I, I say that a lot. It's just, if he can get to mentally and physically right on, on a certain week, it's special. He's really, he's, he's incredible. Does he have a couple favorite spots? I would imagine. I mean, I just listed some of them, I'm sure. But are there certain courses week to week where he's thinking, okay, this is this one is right in my wheelhouse? Yeah. Uh, Houston, the new Houston now, Torrey, uh, Riviera. Even though he hasn't played that great at Riviera, he still feels that that's a, a yeah. great spot for him. There, There's... You know, there's probably 10 events over the course of the year that he feels that this place is tailor-made for him. Um, I, it's even the places that it's funny, even Hilton Head and, and places like Hartford, we, we played well this year. He can play well on those golf courses also. Oh, yeah. But also, you know, just the golf courses. And we're coming to Maui, but his first, his first, uh, trip around Maui that could be the oh yeah <laughs> most Luke list I told him I said when you come into that place there's a banner 
coming into the entrance it says luke list you know golf course. he's gonna be hitting you know, 380 yard drives at that course <laughs> yes yes and you know the par fives are going to be nothing to him and a couple of the drivable par fours and if he comes in there right in mentally physically if he comes in there right and that's a 20 million dollar event this year you know with a limited field and no cut i, I really that could be a place for him to get his year i'm not going to say that we're not going to do anything this fall but that could be a place for him to, to win i'm looking to win there as he uh i was just noticing this too is he do you guys put a ton of stock because this is something we look at in my community a ton is these different green types and how players perform on different green types is he a you know his poa has been his best I mean, he is a, it kind of makes sense because he's, I know he's a Seattle guy, but do you guys feel like that makes a huge difference? Do you, do you generally feel like that is something maybe that we overrate or do you really feel like some of these guys are way more comfortable on Bermuda versus POA versus Bat? Well, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I mean, you know, even before I was on tour, the 90s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. The Florida boys never played well on the West Coast, (laughs) ever. And when the Florida boys went to Florida, they played incredibly well. Nowadays, these kids and these guys are are so adaptive to the changing greens that it's not quite of a discrepancy as it was back then. Um, As far as Luke goes, for some reason, he putts really well on POA. Yeah, you know, he spent a lot of time in California. He lived in California for a while. Um, he seems to putt very well on on POA. There is, you know, we do think about that week to week. You know, we go for a lot of different grasses to Kikuya to, you know, past Palom in Mexico and a couple other places that we go to. Uh, it, it's a huge, it's a huge deal. You know, some guys just cannot putt Bermuda. Yeah. Some guys can't putt POA, but he seems to adapt very well to to the changing conditions and the changing grasses. With the new Bermudas the way they are, it's it's hard to imagine that anybody on tour doesn't putt well on Bermuda. These champions Bermuda and, and the way they're the, the greens are, they're just perfect. Yeah. They're perfect. And with the POA, they're so unpredictable. You know, you could hit a great putt and miss it by, you know, a foot. I think that a, I, I think it actually I think it helps worse putters on POA a little bit because uh, I think I, some of the great putters get a little frustrated and lose a little bit of their edge. I agree. I agree hundred percent. Hundred percent. Um I, I, I do. I you know, I, I think you know, I grew up on POA, so I mean I love looking at POA greens. Yeah. They're easy to read, and but you know when you get out to Pebble Beach and and um, if it's a wet a wet West Coast, it could be demoralizing to these guys, to where you know you're at two feet and and you look and there's a footprint and a heel print right. and it's it's scary. I mean it's scary <laughs> to make a two footer. I, I had a picture. I took a picture at. Uh, out there at Pebble Beach a couple of years ago, and it looked like the moon. It did. I mean, the setting sun was was on the green, and the green actually it was at Monterey Peninsula, 
and it looked like the moon. And I was like, how on earth could anybody make a putt on the screen? But you have to do it to, to survive the West coast swing. What is, um, so are you in, are you living in, I assume you're living in Augusta too. I, that's kind of, it doesn't feel like, you know, it feels like everybody's in Jupiter or Dallas or Scottsdale. How, how'd you guys kind of settle in there and what's the community like down in Augusta? I live in Maine. I'm in Maine. Uh, Luke's in Augusta. So you're, so, so how, how often are you there? Aren't you got to be with him for a lot of the time or no? No, when we're done, you know, he tells me where to be and <laughs> I fly to where I have to be. So, um, we actually did, we took a golf trip last year in the fall down to Augusta. We played a bunch of great golf courses with Luke and three of my friends and, um, Henrik Norlander. It was a great trip, but yeah, no, we, I'm not, I don't live with near him. So, um, he's on his own when we're off and when I'm off, I'm at home with my family. Is his coach down there too? No, his coach is in California. Oh my gosh. I had no idea that it was, I always felt like it was kind of this one whole unit as everyone in the same place. But I guess, you know, there's so many, so many more weeks on the road in different places that you don't really think about it. I guess it, I guess it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Guys wouldn't survive if they, you know, were with their pro. I mean, DJ Singh was the only <laughs> only one that I know of that, you know, his caddy was was from Ponte Vedra, and he lived in Ponte Vedra, and he had to work his off weeks. But the off weeks, once we're off, I'm off. You know, I'm I'm off with my family doing our, you know, doing our thing, and he's off with his. Is there so a we are- uh, is there a uh, a good kind of camaraderie with the caddies are you spending a lot of time with those guys you have a couple couple good friendships that you've made i have a lot of a lot of friends out here over the years a lot of really good friends that i consider friends and i have a couple of roommates that that you know we spend a lot obviously we share share hotels and we used to share just regular hotel rooms back you know even as as close as five years ago now we're doing more of like embassy suites to where it has two rooms, two TVs and a, and a, and a living room. As we're getting old, you know, I'm 50 years old now. I really don't want to spend every night with a bed next door to another cat. You know, <laughs> not that I don't love these guys because I do, but we try to spend, you know, save some money here and there um, during the year. But nowadays it's more about having your own space, renting houses, so I do have a, a couple of guys that, you know, um, they're in my roommates, especially, you know, one guy that, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time together in the last five, six years. So, yeah, there's a lot of camaraderie out here. But once, once the day's over, everybody goes their separate ways. You know, everybody does their own thing. You know, come home, have a couple beers and a meal. And it's to bed. It's really, it's an exhausting week. It, weeks are just, Especially when you're doing three, four in a row, yeah, you know it's, it's it's exhausting. Speaking of which, how do you feel about the new schedule? I mean, I I the changes that are that have been made, and you know we can use this to dovetail. I be remiss not to ask you a little bit about the web stuff too. But what yeah. are your thoughts on kind of all of the changes that the PGA Tour is kind of in the process of making right now? Yeah, obviously it's great for us. 
you know, you know, twenty million dollar events. They're nice and, and it's great, and uh, it's it's hard to say. You know, everybody says you know the old proactive, reactive thing. What the tour's doing, right? It's it's going to end up working out well for guys that are in the top fifty. Guys that finish in the top fifty, life's going to be incredibly great for them, for us, for caddies, for players. And if you're not, if you're in the top one twenty five to fifty one, it's it's going to be a grind. You're going to have to. You know, there's still going to be, you know, eight, nine million dollar events. It's not like it's going to be the corn fairy, but, you know, life's great for the top players. It's going to be, it's going to be great for the top players. And so you have to be a top player. You have got to be in the top 50 uh, to make it worth your while. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it's all going to, it's all going to play out with Liv and who's going, who's coming, who's staying it's i'm just glad i'm i'm here right now and, and to see these big huge events 20 million dollars no cut events are incredible i mean 3.6 million dollars to a winner you know for a caddy three hundred and sixty thousand dollars to yeah to win it it's it's close to life-changing i mean it, it for a year or two it's life-changing yeah i mean it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out did you have conversations with Luke about it? Was this something that was kind of ever on your radar? I mean, you don't even have to disclose anything you're not comfortable with the, about them kind of approaching him. But what what's kind of that been like? And, you know, just with the relationships with all your people on tour week to week, I imagine everybody's it's talking about it just nonstop. Yeah, um, with Luke, I'm going to say, all I'm going to say about him is there was an offer and he was thinking about it. And I'm not going to lie, I was pushing him towards it. You know, I've I've spoken with some caddies, especially I've spoken with one today, actually, who was working this week. And he said, it's caddy heaven. They treat them, I've heard that too. They treat them, they treat the caddies incredibly over there. Yeah, it's it's where caddies go to heaven. With the lawsuit, you know, when guys were moving over to live, there wasn't much. You know, guys weren't taking it personally. It was good. You know, it's it's your personal choice. It's, it's a lot of money these guys are getting paid to go to live. But then when the lawsuit came, a lot of guys started taking it really personal uh, because. You know, the money that it costs to litigate these this lawsuit is coming out of these tour players and they're taking it personally. And you know, it's 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 caused a rift between these guys, uh, the live players and the tour players. Um I don't blame them for going. I really don't I it's hard to turn down a million dollars or a hundred million dollars or eighty million dollars. It's life changing money, and you know some of these guys, honestly, they they don't love golf. So I'm not saying I'm not naming any names, and I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying they're just incredibly good at what they do, but yeah. they don't love it. So I think the less they have to play for the most amount of money is is a good thing for them i think some guys 
like Luke said, he still enjoys the competition. He still enjoys battling to make a cut, battling to win. Because it's incredibly hard to make a cut on the PGA Tour. I mean, you have to play incredibly well to make a cut with these guys. And I know it sounds strange because there's top guys that make every single cut or you don't hardly miss a cut, but it's tough to make a, a cut. But there's definitely a rift between the live and and the tour players right now, for sure. Um, did it seem like he uh, did? Was that a tough decision? You know, was that was that something that you know he was seriously considering? Because it, it seems like he falls into that second category of somebody that really, really loves golf because from a financial standpoint, you can't really argue with the, uh, with the live decision. Right. But I think if you're staying, there's, you know, there's a bunch of other factors too, but a lot of it I'm sure has to do with, you know, like you mentioned with him, competition, legacy, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Honestly, I think if, if the offer was, was bigger i think he would have gone i i yeah. really I, I think if it was you know some of that 20 30 40 50 million dollars around that he would have gone he really wants he's 37 it's not like he's he's out of his prime i don't think he is at least no. especially the way the way golf is going now i i still think he really feels like he wants to win majors and compete in majors and and compete for these big events um i I don't think he's ready to go to like the showcase that live is i'm not saying it's not competition it is but the shotgun start and and stuff like that the no world ranking points as we speak Uh, and the way it's going right now with this lawsuit i i think there's there's some hard feelings out there so i think with Luke and trying not to speak for him because we have talked about it, but not at length and not in depth. You know, he asked yeah. me, well, you're a part of that it, decision too, obviously, you know? Yeah. He asked me if, 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 you know, has anybody crunched the numbers and I crunched the numbers and I, and I told him, I said, listen, unless you drop dead on the golf course, you're pretty much going to finish somewhere around 10 or better every single week on the live with no yeah. pressure to make a cut. I'd agree with no, that. <laughs> you know, so the upside for Luke list on the live tour is, is there. It just, it didn't, it didn't happen at this moment. So we're, we're focusing on, on the PGA tour schedule and we're focusing on trying to get, you know, to that top 50 to where, it could be live wise, you know, live like to where that kind of money is available to those guys and they deserve it. It's, it's hard to imagine these guys, most of them are in the hole, let's say with caddy expenses and, and flights and family and houses. Most of these guys are in the hole about 15 grand, 15,000 before they even tee it up every single week on the PGA tour. So if you go on a you know a three week cut streak, miscut streak, you know you're in the whole forty five fifty grand traveling with your family. I'm not saying everybody flies private, but I'm saying you know five six grand to round trip airfare and and you know 
seven, eight grand for a house for the week and the food and everything else and the caddy fees. It's a, it's a lot. These guys aren't guaranteed anything. So that's, I think that's what a, this live is so enticing to these guys, you know, to where, you know, Harold Barner and those guys, you know, Gooch, who haven't been on tour that long, where they offered $80 million. I mean, $80 million is a lot of money. And yeah. I, I don't blame them at all for going at all. Do you it, think there's, I was just going to ask, I mean, do, do you I think a lot of people like have the understanding that like, Hey man, you know, like you do your thing, like, that's fine. I can't really fault you for, for going in that, in that scenario. But you mentioned with the lawsuit now, does it seem now like there's a bit like at the major championships championships this year, for example, I had a bunch of media friends that ended up going to the U S open and, and they talked about, it was all anyone was talking about. Do you think that now there kind of is a little bit of a rift that, you know, between some of, some of the guys are, are starting to get a little frustrated and do, do they want, like, do you think that guys like Luke and other guys on the PGA tour, do you want to see those guys in, in majors and stuff like that now? I honestly think they, that they don't. I, I think the, the, the thing that upset most of these tour players, the PGA tour players is these guys assumed that they were going to go to live and to come back and be able to play the PGA tour also right. have their cake which, and eat it too. Yeah, absolutely. The thing about the majors is it's driven with Augusta national. You know, when we are at the PGA, let's backtrack a little bit at the PGA, PGA of America said that they were going to let live players play. And I think Augusta National is going to follow suit. I'm not going to say falls. Like, I shouldn't say that. Augusta National is leading. And I don't think they're going to have a Masters without past champions and without the top players. They're not just going to have an also-ran tournament at Augusta National. I agree. So yeah. I, I think they're going to let... It's an invitational, too. So like even if, guys are, even if guys aren't qualifying based on OWGR points... They choose who gets in. Yes. And and I think the USGA and RNA are all going to follow suit. And listen, I personally am fine with that. I, I'm fine with Dustin Johnson coming back and playing the Masters. That's absolutely he deserves it. And the guys that uh, you know have won the British, uh, I think they fully deserve to play the Masters. Now, on the other hand, when and if they do fall, out of the world golf rankings and they don't qualify, then I, I don't think they should be involved in the, in the majors. I think they should earn their way back, but to move forward from this, I, I think what's happening now, like on the DP tour as these guys, they're letting them play. They're letting the live guys play. And I think these guys are ganging up on these DP tours. Like last week at Wentworth, yeah. They had all of those guys play this this week. Um, they're all playing again. I think they're all ganging up and and getting these big group of top players playing these DP tour player uh, events. And I think they're going to get their world ranking points unless the DP tour stops them. It's 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 crazy right now. I mean, golf has changed forever. It's never ever going to be the same forever as long as live 
is involved. And I think everybody needs to sit down and talk, whether it's Jay Monahan and those guys, they need to sit down and talk. And this isn't second grade. <laughs> I mean, Jay, Jay has, and I shouldn't, you know, I don't want to speak for him also, but he hasn't spoken with Greg Norman. He hasn't sat down. They've got to figure out a way that they can make this all happen together. I'm not saying play both tours. I'm saying there's got to be a way for everybody to coexist and make the majors a major. You know, it, it's sad. I think it, it's too bad what's happening now, but it's not that's going, just me. It's, it's not going anywhere. Like that's the, that's the key point here is it's like, this isn't, you know, a, a lot of people talk about it as like, there's just, they're just this disruptor force. Well, you know, even if they get bored, not first of all, the money's not running out anytime soon. Second of all, even if they get bored, maybe that's in five to seven years, right? Like in the short term, they've invested so much money in this and it's not going anywhere. So you can't really act like it doesn't exist anymore. That's exactly right. I, that's why I just I don't understand why they don't just sit down and and see what what each other's ideas are. You know the rumors. There's all there's been rumors for years now, but you know I, I've heard that Liv offered the PGA Tour three hundred and sixty million to um, have some of the Liv events not in the biggest of PGA tour events. You know what I mean? So yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I have no idea. I, I think they were trying to coexist to where they could have a live event on maybe a side event on the PGA tour. So they don't clash, but I, I think now it's gone to the point with this lawsuit and everything. I, I just think it, it's, man, I think it, yeah, it's past the point of non-repair i think now yeah, yeah. absolutely and i don't think liv's gonna back down at all i think liv's gonna move forward and and try to attract the top players in the world uh, i don't think they're gonna back down on the pga tour at all so it's all gonna come down to the courts you know it's it really it it, it stinks I, I i like things the way they were but <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll see how it works out. We'll see how it works out. Well, a couple quick questions I want to get you out of here on. Give me somebody underrated on tour. Give me somebody that you've played with a couple times that he maybe hasn't won as much or he's an up and comer, but every time you watch him play, you're like, damn, this guy, this guy's really got it. Yeah, um, Young. Is it Chase Young? No, Cameron Young. Uh, Cameron Young. <laughs> he's a beast. Hey, hey. We first, I first saw him earlier on in this past year. I said, you know, this this guy's got potential. You know, caddies as caddies, you're always looking out for who's who's who. And I think he, I know he hasn't won it. And I'm not saying he's a young up and comer. Well, maybe he is, but he is really special. He's an incredible player. He's all like a five tool player. Uh, he he's got the potential to be a world beater. So I think right now he is the top guy in my mind to, uh, to be the next big thing. Who is the, uh, funniest slash favorite caddy? Funniest. <laughs> Let's see here. 
That's a tough question. I was trying to think of some of one of the off questions you might ask me today. I know I didn't prepare <laughs> you for any of these. <laughs> and that'd, that'd be one of um, you know, caddies are a different breed. Um, I, I don't know if I can think of one specific caddy offhand. I'm gonna say I'm pretty funny myself. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it's caddies are, are like I said, they're they're a special breed. Um, they really are, and. It's great to be a cat. It's been a great life. It's given me every, everything that that uh, I have. But if you sit down with a group of caddies and and just sit and listen to some of the stories, especially the old timers and the guys that have been out there 20, 30, uh, I'd say 30 years. I, I wouldn't call myself an old timer, but the stories are incredible. You know, the Mike Hicks and the Fluffs and and those guys have some incredible stories. I, I can't single out one guy that I think is incredibly funny but collectively listening to to caddies and their stories it, it's a treat it's really fun it's it's another podcast for you to do <laughs> to have a multi um, a multiple uh caddy podcast um last one what's the um what's the best is there one shot that comes to mind the best shot you've ever seen him hit or it could be anyone doesn't have to be luke nick taylor too best does any one shot come to mind is like oh my god i'll never forget watching that shot well just hitting the green on 17 at sawgrass when it's <laughs> when it's windy is an incredible shot because you know it could be it's the easiest shot in the world other than that week and that week it, was what did he get the bad weather draw that week by the way we did Oh we my did. gosh. I remember we that. Did. And they sent them out after all the delays. And I think the first group out there was like Brooke, Xander and Scotty and every single one of them missed the cream by like 20 yards. Yeah. When it's blowing and it's like it was, it's, it's the toughest shot I've ever seen, but Luke hit the shot that I remember last year at San Antonio. He had drove it left on 15 at, at San Antonio and, he had this kind of hunched over four hours into a howling wind from about 220. And I said, you know, I think we should, we should play this out to the right. And he goes, no, I got this. I got this over the left. And I was like, over what? Over the left is woods and mountains and rocks. And he just, I, I don't know how he did it, but he hits this high towering cutting four iron over everything to five feet and, and makes the putt for birdie and i'm not saying it was the most incredible shot in the world but it was close i don't think there's there's five guys on tour that could have hit that shot but these guys amaze me every single day i i see something every single day that they can do that that the general public and you know 10 handicaps would never dream of being able to do it these guys are they're incredible they're incredible players uh, it's really it's it's fun to be a part of What's the uh, schedule look like for the rest of the fall? Are you guys going back to Jackson? We are going to Jackson. We're off next week, going to Jackson. And then uh, Luke and I are going to Long Beach where uh, Jamie Mulligan, his coach, lives. And we're going to spend Thursday, Friday, Saturday out there. I'm going to play. Well, we're going to play. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> much work, but I'm going to play at Virginia and Long Beach and um, then we're going to head to Zozo in Japan. And then we fly from Japan to Congaree 
in South Carolina for the CJ Cup. Yeah. And then, then we get a couple of weeks off and we play Houston and Sea Island. And then we're done until Maui. Yeah. So, not so bad. You, you, you'll be busy this fall. No, that's a legit. Busy. Yeah. Yeah. Busy, not too, too busy. We had some weeks off and some time off. So it's really a, a nice fall schedule. So, you know, it's all golf courses that he likes, which I'm really looking forward to. I mean, we're off to a bad start this, this week, but, you know, he's it, a little rusty. It got kind of tough in the afternoon. I think you guys are still in it. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I think, you know, he really, really took, uh, he wanted to take some time off in these three weeks that we were off. And he did. He didn't really touch a club for two and a half weeks. So a little bit of rust, a little bit of rust coming off. So I expect him to have a good round tomorrow and and then uh, onward for the weekend. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me, man. This was a blast. Well, uh, I hope to do it again sometime. And I'll tell Don Absolutely. you say hi. And um, it was a pleasure, man. Best of luck the rest of this week and in the fall swing. We'll be ready for Thank you very you much. I appreciate it. We'll do it anytime you want. All right, that is it for the podcast. Special thanks to Jeff. Special thanks to rickrungood.com. Make sure to check out my betting preview with Rick, which should be out on Tuesday afternoon. Golf.com article for all of my thoughts on the Sanderson Farms and final DraftKings article on Wednesday as well. We will be back next week for the Shriners. Best of luck with your bets this week, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead send back road stop Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.